the Grower Radio Network. I'm Matt McClellan. I'm here today with Sam McCoy with the Perennial Patent Company. Sam's a registered patent agent with the USPTO, and he has been assisting plant breeders for the last decade. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. Sam's going to be uh, speaking with us a little bit about the American Vents Act. and uh, It's something that, that passed in 2011, and one of the main thrusts was the switch from the first-to-invent system to the first-inventor-to-file system. Uh, so, Sam, could you tell us a little bit about how this change has affected plant breeders? Yeah, I, I think um, in order to answer the question, Matt, we kind of have to put it within the proper context. So just a, a quick um, lesson on patent law, if you will. Uh, we actually, within the um, patent U.S. patent system, have uh, three different types of patents. We have design patents, which is relatively self-explanatory. Um, we have what are known as utility patents. So if you happen to have invented the, the latest, greatest mousetrap, you would apply for a utility patent. And as of uh, 1930, we have had plant patents. And I mentioned that just to, um, to delineate between utility patents or what we would get for our mousetrap and the plant patents because the, there's some significant differences between the two as they relate to um, the America Invents Act and uh, the transition of our patent system from uh, first to invent uh, over to first inventor to file. Uh, the idea with the transition to a first inventor to file system is to essentially bring the United States patent system in line with um, the rest of the world. Um, in the rest of the world, basically, patent law has always dictated that uh, the first, you could have two inventors that, to stick with the uh, analogy of a mousetrap, you could have two inventors that have both invented the same exact same type of mousetrap, and essentially a patent will be granted to the first of those two inventors that happens to file an application. Um, under the U.S. patent system, uh, the way it worked up until um, last year was uh, if, if you happen to uh, be one of those two inventors of that identical mousetrap, but you um, filed after uh, the, uh, the other inventor, however you had um, basically invented it before that person, you could prove to the patent office that that was the case through your lab notes or whatever, and the patent office would say, well, you reduced it to practice. In other words, you invented it first, so we're going to, Mr. Inventor, give you the patent and not the guy that filed first. Um, so now the patent office says, well, we're going to scratch that and we're going to do just what the rest of the world does and say, okay, guys, whichever one of you files first is the one that's going to get the patent. Now, that's with utility patents. If, if we're talking, of course, about plant patents, the reality of the matter is plant breeders more than likely are never breeding identical plants. So it's almost of no consequence, this, this shift from first, in, first to invent over to first inventor to file, because, again, the reality of it is no two plants are genetically identical. I mean, that's just basic science. So really, Matt, there, there's, there's not a whole lot. Um, yes, it's, it's a huge paradigm shift for the patent office, but it doesn't really amount to a hill of beans for a plant breeder. Um, it's really some of the other details in the America Invents Act that are going to have some profound uh, consequences for plant breeders, and, and I think that's more important for us to talk about for now. Okay, great. So as much as that was a, a major major change in uh, the way patent law operates, bringing the U.S. Uh, into step with the rest of the world, 
that's something that doesn't particularly affect uh, plants as much. However, you, I believe you said there were a few, a uh, few of the uh, the provisions that went into effect more recently that do affect plant breeders. Uh, can you tell me about some of those and uh, what exactly our breeders need to know about them? Yeah, well, there's there's some good and, and some bad, of course, and uh, I guess we'll start with some of the bad news, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the I guess uh, biggest factors for a plant breeder when um, considering whether or not to plant and patent a new plant is, you know, the question is is this plant eligible for patent protection? And um, a, a lot of the times in in our industry, when we're talking about plants and plant patents, that all bo- all boils down to: has the plant been offered for sale anywhere prior to you know today? Uh, has it been offered for sale? Did you show it at a trade show? Is it in your nursery's latest catalog? Um, all of those things uh, in patent lingo are referred to as public disclosures, and um, under the old rule pre. America Invents Act, the law pretty much laid out a blanket statement that said you have a one-year grace period from any type of public disclosure within the United States, and that's an important um, thing to note, within the United States, a public disclosure within the United States, whether that's an offer for sale or putting it uh, in a brochure or a catalog or exhibiting at a trade show, you would have one year in which you could file for patent protection and the plant would still be eligible. However, um, under the new system, uh, post-AIA, the law now reads that any prior public disclosure, whether it be in the United States or anywhere else in the world, is going to bar that plant's eligibility for patent protection. So that's that's a huge, huge change because, you know, for those of us that operate in the world of plant breeding and new plants and new um, plant patents, rather, uh, we have always just taken for granted that one-year grace period, that it's there and it's our right that we can exercise that one-year grace period. And uh, these days, as of last year, that's no longer the case. Um, there are some exceptions that the Patent Office provides, you know, cases where if that disclosure was made directly by the breeder or someone that obtained the invention directly from the breeder, you can petition to take advantage of that one-year grace period, but it's not a guarantee. that um, You have to petition, and that petition goes to an individual examiner at the Patent Office, and it's that one person who is going to determine if, yes, you can use the one-year grace period or no. So what we've been telling any of our breeders uh, over the last year, or you know, as soon as we understood the changes involved with AIA, um, to essentially practice better safe than sorry, before you publicly disclose this thing to anyone, let's go ahead and file uh, file a patent application. So that's that's huge. Um, that's that's pretty much um, one of the. Um, one of the biggest factors that I've found in AIA as it relates to our industry and uh, something that can surely wreck a breeder's plans. You know, if they've been working on a plant for five or ten years and uh, kind of been uh, fishing it around to, uh, shopping it around to guys and and, um, unwittingly, unknowingly um, publicly disclose that invention, they've essentially lost their right to a patent and lost their right to exploit that new plant. Okay. That's a valuable, valuable knowledge to have, and uh, it's something that 
as something that was a common practice to uh, to shop those plants around. This is good for uh, uh, readers to know that that may not be safe to do anymore if they still want to be able to patent that plant. And if you and if you are going to do it, which I'll admit, we still have. Uh clients because I also have a licensing company whereby we help breeders commercialize their varieties. Uh, so in my licensing company, we still have some some instances where uh, we have prior public disclosure of an invention, but in those cases, we've um, impressed upon that breeder to keep good notes because that's what it's going to boil down to because we're now have to, having to petition to take advantage of the one-year grace period. And part of that petition is being able to show that, look, we have written evidence, as evidenced by the breeder's log, that that disclosure was made by the breeder himself or someone working under the direction of the breeder. So it's sort of one of those things where to boil it down, uh, as far as the one-year grace period goes, um, better safe than sorry these days. Uh, file before you disclose. However, if you must disclose, make sure you have a good, good written record of any disclosures. Okay. Now, I believe you said there was some good news, too, for plant breeders. <laughs> Do you care yeah, and it's real good that? news. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually real good news. Um, maybe the most important of it. Uh, it it's, uh has to do with your, um, your pocketbook. I would say the spirit of the American Invents Act was to do a couple of things, to spur innovation being the primary thing. And so part of that, um, the lawmakers said, well, we need to reduce patent fees. And so now it is cheaper than it ever has been for a breeder to uh, to get a patent, um, some 15 to 20 percent cheaper than it was just a year ago. Um, the final changes of the American Invents Act uh, came into effect this past January, and that was the um, revision of the fee schedule. They call it basically the um, the menu of everything that that um, every requirement of a inventor or a breeder, you know, and the cost associated therewith. Uh, that was January 1. Again, um, some of the fees were reduced. Some of the fees were completely uh, eliminated. For example, uh, once a patent application is, is granted, uh, under the pre-AIA law, you had to pay what is called an issue fee and also a publication fee. That publication fee was $300. It's been completely eliminated. So um, that's that's always welcome. And, um, and another significant uh, addition uh, under the AIA is um, a new discount, and this is particularly important for independent plant breeders. You know, guys, maybe nurserymen that have made a few selections at the nursery that they've been watching for a year or two here, wondering, you know, hmm, I wonder, I wonder how much it would cost me to get a patent, and and should I do that? For those kind of guys, there's now what is known as a micro entity discount. And that equates to a 75% discount of patent fees. So, you know, I'll use very, very rough numbers, but let's say um, the U.S. filing fees, your patent fees that you would pay to the patent office pre-AIA may have been $5,000, $7,000. If you qualify for a micro-entity discount, you're literally going to pay uh, $1,000, $1,500, something like that in government fees. Okay. So uh, there are a couple of qualifications for that, um, but most folks in our industry have met that. Um, and if uh, if you filed fewer than four patent applications, uh, you would qualify for that discount. And um, there are other discounts that the broader 
industry um, breeders that um, are perhaps professional breeders or professional breeding companies, things of that nature, they would qualify for for um, additional discounts that aren't quite as good as that, but still very good. That equate to about a fifty percent savings. All right, that's good news, and good news is very welcome, especially when it comes to uh, the amount of money that that folks have to spend to get those patents. Well, I mean, let's face it, we're, we're sort of a, uh, an industry that operates on very thin margins. We're seasonal, most of us in any case, and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not always flush with cash. And uh, particularly um, in light of, um, you know, the, uh, the recession of the, the past few years and an economy that's still, um, it's improving, but still a little shaky, uh, anywhere where we can save money is, is always welcomed. And, you know, when, when you look at how important um, plant innovation has become in our industry and, and uh, branded programs and patented plants, all that um, now being more or less a staple of, of the business and a growing portion of any grower's portfolio. Um, I think it's I think it's been one of one of these things where a lot of people would just dismiss that when you start talking about patents, it's just going to be unrealistic for me because attorneys are involved, uh, big government's involved. It's going to be too expensive. I just simply can't do it, and we're just not going to worry about it. That's that's really not the case at all. Uh, um, most times, we can get patents done for you know two thousand dollars, under two thousand dollars in some cases. So. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's there. There are some bad things with AIA, but certainly um, the revised fee schedule is is a very very good thing. Excellent. All right, uh, Sam, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to be on the Grower Radio Network today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Matt. Look forward to uh, doing it again sometime, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, hope to do a few more uh, podcasts on patents with Sam here in the future. So look forward to that. And if you have any questions about patents or licensing, uh, you can contact Sam. Uh, go to the website perennialpatents.com, and uh, you can you can uh, drop him a line anytime and the phone number on that website as well. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Grower Radio Network. <laughs>